At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Amen. So we're continuing our series in the book of 1 Peter called Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. And can we all agree that this world is unpredictable? I mean, if anything, the last year has showed us that we cannot plan for tomorrow because we do not even know what the future is to bring. But we can, we can plan for today and we can give our lives to Christ and in submission to his will every single day of our lives, trusting in him. What we've been looking at in this series, Unshakable, is the Apostle Peter has been talking to Christians that are scattered abroad in what's called modern-day Turkey, and what he's telling them, he's telling them to remain steadfast as they're under persecution, as, as they're under trials, as they're under uh, all sorts of different things that are going on in their society that is causing strife and causing issues within their own relationships. And so what he's saying is that we have to remember first who we are, and he's set up so far in chapters 1 and 2 who Christians are in Jesus Christ, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession who are called by God to proclaim his excellencies among this world. That is who we are, and that is what our calling is as Christians. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is talking about you. We are one new race, we are one new nation, we are one new people in Jesus Christ. And as this new race, nation, and people, we are also called exiles and sojourners. The people that Peter were writing to were sojourners and exiles in the Roman lands that they were living in, but they're also sojourners and exiles in the spiritual uh, faith that they are in. Because the Romans, they were a pagan culture. And they in no way honored Jesus Christ as Lord. The church was the minority. They were not the majority. And the majority of people worshiped Caesar as God. And to be a Christian was completely countercultural. And it was seen as even rebelling against the government. And so we have to look at this text and we have to remember what is going on with the Christians as we read this text. Because these are real letters written to real people. And the situation that the Christians are in is a horrific situation. Like I said before, they're, they're a minority of people that are within the, the Roman Empire. And they're seen as all sorts of different terrible things. In fact, when the Romans started to talk about Christians, instead of calling them Christians, they actually just referred to them as evildoers. That's what we saw in the text last week. It says, when they call you evildoers, because that's what they were calling them. They hated Christians. To be a Christian was to many times be a death sentence. To be a Christian was to be somebody who had to hide their faith in order that they would not go to prison. To be a Christian was not easy. The society that these Christians live in was one that we are terrified of, one that we look at and think, how could we ever stand firm in the midst of that type of persecution? Yet we see that these Christians, they press on, they proceed forward, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst 
of persecution. And this is the context that the Apostle Peter is writing to, and it's so important to remember that today. Because as I already read the text, you can see that within this text today, there are some challenging things. Yet we always have to remember that we submit ourselves to the word of God. And these are God-breathed. These are God's very words. And so as we listen to these words, we must think and think how we can apply them to our lives in every area of the scriptures. Not just when we agree with how it makes us feel. Because sometimes the scripture makes us feel uncomfortable. Today I'll be real with you. As I'm reading the text of the scripture and I was studying it, I was really challenged. And God really worked in my heart. So as we're looking at this text, we have to remember who this text is written to. Because what we're seeing today is how Christians are supposed to interact with government. What we're seeing today is how Christians are supposed to interact with those who are in authority over us. And remember, once again, that these Christians, for them, this was a hostile culture. For these Christians, they could be thrown to wild animals for their faith. For these Christians, they could be burned alive for their faith. These are the things that are going on in the culture. So the question we have to ask is, should, how should we live as a Christian in a pagan world and in a pagan society? And what we're going to see is that God's people are good citizens. That God's people are good citizens. First Peter 2, and we're going to see three different ways that we as Christians are distinct from the rest of the world as we look at the governing authorities. The first thing that we want to see is that for God's sake or for the Lord's sake, submit to your rulers. First Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The first word we see there, be subject, this is a command. It's in the imperative in the Greek. What Peter's saying, he's saying be subject as Christians. Now this word be subject means to be submissive to in relationship with. Really it's a military term. It actually means to come up under proper order. It means to submit to the proper order and to respect that. And then Peter continues on. He doesn't just say be subject to the human institutions. Because there's got to be a reason to be subject to the human institutions. And we see it followed right here. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. It's interesting because when we see this, this idea of submission talked about, we always see it connected to for the Lord's sake. When wives are told to submit to their husbands, they do it as unto the Lord. They do it because it's an act of worship to God. In the same way that we, as we're called to submit to the governing authorities, we do it as an act of worship before God. We aren't called as Christians to submit to the governing authorities because we're citizens alone. We're called by Christians to submit to the governing authorities for God's sake. Because as we'll see in the text today, that God is the one 
who establishes authority. Here's the beautiful thing that we can all embrace today. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. There is not one thing happens that the Lord does not control. The word of God says that all things work out according to the counsel of his will. So let's remember that as we look at this text today. He lays out the different layers of governing authorities here. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Now the Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, tells us to be submissive to the emperor. Well, this whole idea of of being submissive to the emperor would have been one who is challenging to the Christians. You see, it's important to know the historical background of who the emperor was when Peter wrote this letter. The likelihood is this letter was written around AD 62 or 63, most likely from the city of Rome. And the emperor during this time was none other than a man by the name of Nero. Now, if you don't know who Nero was, Nero was a notorious, arrogant, sexually immoral, ruthless, wicked, evil, violent persecutor of the church. Nero, who set the city of Rome on fire, blamed it on the Christians, then used Christians as torches to light the pathway at nighttime who threw Christians to wild animals, who decimated families, who caused hatred of Christians to go forth into all of Rome. Mass persecution. That Nero. That's why it's so challenging. Because if it was somebody, you know, who was like, agreed with everything I thought and somebody who, who was a, a godly man and who was, who was leading as an emperor to God, and then it'd be a lot easier to be subject. But this is just facts. And then we look at the text. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be that emperor, Nero, or to the governors sent by him. And you can guess how corrupt those guys were. The ones who Jesus stood before and they convicted him of crimes he didn't commit. They crucified him. They wouldn't stand up for him, washed their hands and said, hey, I don't want to, I'm not dealing with this ultimately crucified him. But we're doing it for the Lord's sake. Subject ourselves to the governing authority. Now I know at this point when I'm studying the text of scripture, the question comes to my mind, but what if it goes against the word of God? What if it goes against the things that the Lord has told us? When do we not submit ourselves to the governing authorities? When do we say that Lord is supreme over Caesar? That's when in any way the government tells you to go against the word of God. It's when the gospel is at stake. It's when we're told not to preach the gospel. It's when we're told things that are contrary to the scripture. That is when we do not subject ourselves to the governing authorities, but we say we are 
in Christ. Yet the reality is, as Christians, there's a reason why Peter wrote this. Because he's calling Christians to have an attitude of humility and submission to the governing authorities. And yes, we must stand. We must stand when the governing authorities tell us to do things that are against our faith. Yet we must realize that we are to have this attitude of submission and humility, and it continues on. So the, and, and there's reasons for this. First is for the Lord's sake. The second is found in verse 14. Or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God has given the law and the government to humanity as a common grace. Common grace meaning that it's to all peoples. It's a common grace because human beings at our very core are wicked and depraved. And human beings at our very core are only going to live out what our flesh desires and what our flesh wants. If there were no laws, if there were no rules, then it would be complete chaos and it is by God's grace that we are allowed to have human institutions that help control and help allow us to be within the bounds of, of God's, really God's word, especially in the United States. So as we look at this idea that God instituted government, that he ordained government, that he ordained the governing authorities in order to punish the evildoer and to praise those who do good. That's a beautiful piece of seeing the justice of God, isn't it? That's a beautiful piece to see that the Lord doesn't let evil go unpunished. Look at Romans chapter 13, another key text in God and government. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. Listen to this verse. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's a pretty powerful text, isn't it? As we look at God and government, as we look at this idea once again of being told to submit to the governing authorities, one thing that really stuck out to me about this text is that the governing authorities are in place to be God's avenger against wickedness. 
One of my struggles as I've read the text of Scripture is Romans chapter 12, where uh, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Anyone ever struggle with that idea before? And I would think, yeah, Lord, but this is happening now. I know you repay on judgment day, but this is happening now. What about the evil that's happening now? He says, I, I put government in place to be an avenger, and they carry my sword of my wrath. So the government working out the laws are carrying God's sword and putting his wrath forth on the evildoer. It's pretty amazing to see this, and it's an encouragement to me that God is dealing out his wrath upon evil even right now. Now, it's important for us to see that once again, that obeying the governing authorities and submitting to the governing authorities is to the Lord. One commentator puts it this way. Our obedience to the governing authorities, therefore, is at best only secondary. Our primary allegiance is to God. It is to bring honor to him and make him known, make his greatness and majesty known, that we give our lives in obedience to the emperor or king or president or whoever is in power. I think it's so important to think through this as we look at the things that face our nation. As we look at this idea of defunding police, making our own police forces, doing, taking over government as citizens, God ordained government. God put police officers in place, army in place, laws in place in order for the people to not have chaos. And so we respect those who are in those places. We respect police officers. We respect the army. We respect those authorities. Now, let's be real. In any occupation or in any position, there are people who are evil. That's the reality. I've told you time and time again, I believe there are pastors who stand in pulpits who don't know Jesus, and some of them are wicked. So we have to realize that, but the reality is that does not mean because of the sake of a few wicked pastors, we pull all the pastors out of the pulpit. It doesn't mean because of the sake of a few evil police officers that we get rid of all the police. The reality is, is that God has ordained these institutions and we're called as Christians to submit ourselves to them because they're God's avenger, because they're the ones who God has given us as a common grace to keep law in order. So for the Lord's sake, we submit to the governing authorities. For the sake of goodness or for goodness sake, we're called to do good. Look at 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, can we all agree that there are ignorant people in society today? Can we all agree that there are foolish people? God says that we can put them to silence. Now, let me ask you a question. Does arguing with a foolish person or an ignorant person, do they tend to be quiet when you argue with them? Or do they tend to get louder? And the answer is they, they tend to get louder. 
But what God says here is that by doing good, we'll put them to silence. And look at this word here. This is such a, such a powerful statement. For this is the will of God. I don't know how many people have asked me, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? And this is a good question to ask. It shows a submission to God as supreme in our lives. There are certain places in Scripture where God lays out just what his will is for our lives. And this is one of them. Another one is in 1 Thessalonians. Is that the will of God is that we are sanctified and we become more like Jesus. It's also the will of God that we remain sexually pure. It is the will of God that we give thanks. Finally, in 1 Peter 2.15, it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This parallels back to verse 12 that we looked at, where it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Remember that word? It means about six different English words. It means excellent, praiseworthy, to the highest standard. Keep your conduct honorable among the pagan people so that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. This says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Can you imagine in a culture where they come against Christians and they accuse them of horrific things? They accuse Christians of cannibalism. They called them evildoers. That was the name for them. They hated Christians. In fact, they called Christians atheists because they didn't worship Caesar as God. Can you imagine a Christian being called an atheist? But then the Christians, they did good. They invested in their communities. They supported their communities. They prayed for their communities. They served their communities. They loved their communities. And can you imagine an angry person saying, look at those evildoers over there. Look at how they just keep investing into our community and keep loving on people. Look at those evildoers. <laughs> kind of silences them, right? It's when somebody tries to dig up mud against you and there's nothing that can stick. Really, probably one of the prime examples I saw of this most recently was the trial that Amy Coney Barrett got put under. And all of these things were being pulled out to try and get something against her and try and try and try as they might. There was nothing that stuck. There was nothing that, that, that came up. Because she trusted in the fact that she had a life that was exemplary. And it made everyone who was throwing accusations at her seem foolish. We're called to live in this community and to do good. What does it mean to do good? Well, it's important to look at what the word good is defined as in the scripture. When the Pharisees come to Jesus, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So we know that the definition of good has to do with God himself. So as we go out into our world, as we go out into our communities, we ask the question, what would God do in this situation? 
Or we could use that expression that's been used, I think, sometimes too much, but the expression of what would Jesus do right now? How would God act? How would God live? By doing good. And it's interesting that this comes in the context of the governing authorities. And the third point today, the third thing we have to look at is, for freedom's sake, live to serve. 1 Peter 2.16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter gives the elect exiles a third way in which they're called to live as good citizens, as those who subject to the governing authorities. He says, for freedom's sake, live to serve. Live as people who are free. Now, when we think of this idea of freedom, it's not the same idea that we think of when we think of American freedom. They wouldn't have had any idea of what it would be like to have the freedom that we do in our faith. Like I talked about before, lest we forget, this is Nero that Peter is talking about. But he says, live as free people. So what's this talking about? Well, this means freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are free. We are free from Satan, sin. We are free from death. We are free from the bondage of our will, being bound to only sin. We now can honor God. We are free. And truly, we are free from governing authorities if God had not called us to submit to these authorities. That's why it says, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Because when you think of yourself as an elect people, which we are, when you think of yourselves and who we truly are as children of God, truly royalty, a royal priesthood, when you think of yourself as set apart as a holy nation, when you think of yourself as a chosen race, the thoughts tend to come into my mind, well, I'm above everybody and everything. And he says, don't use that freedom to do evil. Use that freedom to do good. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Peter says you are no longer slaves to sin, you are free. Do not submit yourselves to that yoke of sin, slavery. Listen, we are free from the yoke of sin. Romans tells us that. We're slaves to righteousness now. Romans 6. And we are called to live as people who use our freedoms to glorify God in all that we do. In all that we do. Peter says, honor everyone. Well, what's it mean to honor? To show high regard for. Such a short statement. Yet it really captures it. Honor everyone. Well, who's everyone? Well, everyone who is an image bearer of God. 
See, we're called to honor people as image bearers. To respect people. Because people were created by God. And man is the only creation created in the very image of God, humankind. So we're called to honor everyone. We honor their dignity as a human being. And this is so important throughout Scripture. Human life is so important throughout Scripture. That's why we see that murder in the Scripture is a capital offense. And someone's life can be taken for taking another's life. The human life is so valuable in the eyes of God. It's so ingrained in our morals, whether we admit to it or not. We feel wrong when a human life is taken. Well, why? If there's no God, why do we feel wrong about that? It's because man is created in the image of God. And we're called to honor everyone. Now, Peter goes from everyone to how Christians are supposed to treat each other. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Brotherhood. The brother and sisterhood of Christ. The family of God. The church. That's who we're called to love. There's this special affection, if you study through the scriptures, for the people of God It's absolutely beautiful. It's unlike any other relationship that you would see in society. Love the brotherhood. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we're told to love. Well, let's be reminded once again of 1 Corinthians 13.4-8, what this looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's an important piece of love that is too easily forgotten. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We're called to be patient and kind with one another. To not be arrogant or rude. To not insist on our own way. Be irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. As Christians, we should be able to have those conversations. If you have a brother or sister in Christ who you know is not going after good things and they're going in wrongdoings, we need to call them back and say, hey, listen, listen to truth. But we do it in love. We let our words always be seasoned with salt. And we don't do it on social media. We do it over coffee. We do it in homes. We love our brothers and sisters in Jesus. The world watches us. May we as Christians never publicly sling mud at each other. Francis Schaeffer, a Christian apologist and theologian of the 20th century, said this, The mark of a Christian, 
We are to love all true Christian brothers in a way that the world may observe. This means showing love to our brothers in the midst of our differences, great or small. Loving our brothers when it costs us something. Loving even under times of tremendous emotional tension. Loving them in a way the world can see. He called this the final apologetic. Because people don't do this with one another. It's not a natural thing. It can only be done through the spirit of the living God. It is so unnatural to do any of those things. It's not natural to be patient or kind or not envy or boast. It's not natural to not insist on your own way. If I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? It's not natural to not be irritable or resentful. It's not natural to stand up for truth. It's not natural to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. The text next says, fear God. And that's really the banner we have over our life as Christians, is fear God. Fear means to have respect and reverence for, honor and praise for. Also, let's just be real. The scripture says, don't fear the one who can destroy your body, but fear the one who can destroy your body and throw your soul into hell. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, Today, you can give your life to Christ. Today, you can realize what it is to have a new hope and a new peace. You can realize what it is to live different from the rest of the world. If you look at the world and go, I'm sick of all of this. Is there not another way? Yes. It is the way of Jesus. And it will cost you a lot. It's going to cost you your entire life. Yeah, it's completely worth it. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, please don't leave here without talking to me or, or the person you came with. Please don't leave here without giving your life to Christ. Do that simply by confessing your sins to God, turning to him and saying, my life is yours, saying, I live for you from this day forward. Fear God. Finally, he brings it back again. Honor the emperor. Tuesday, we head off to the polls. We have an election. I'm glad Pastor Brent reminded us of that earlier. And we go, and I believe we vote, and we vote biblically. We read the scriptures, we look at the scriptures, and then we trust the Lord. Because no matter who's president, Jesus is king. And he's sovereign. And it's hard. But we can trust that the one who gets put in governing authority was put there by God. And as long as it doesn't call us to go against the word of God, we submit to the governing authorities. We honor them. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree. We can disagree and still honor. That's something that has been lost in our culture today. Doesn't mean we have to vote for that person. 
but we're called to honor, pray for, show the love of Christ to our world, to our governing authorities. Because we're free people. And it's freedom that Christ has set us free. And we submit ourselves to the governing authorities, not because we have to, but because we love the Lord and for his sake. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.